your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2, Ruth chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7 this evening as we, again, doing these character studies. And uh, we're going to look at Ruth's reward, Ruth's reward. Remember, after Ruth arrives in Bethlehem with Naomi from Moab, Ruth doesn't waste any time, as we learn here in chapter 2, she doesn't waste any time going into the barley fields to glean grain so that she can get food for her and Naomi. Harvesting grain seems to be a rather insignificant job, an insignificant experience, but nonetheless important in Ruth's life, in Ruth's life, especially at this time. But it was because of this seemingly insignificant work that she got, that, that she got to meet her future husband. And together they had a son, which made her an ancestress of Jesus Christ. Now, many times in our life, we have what we think or we go through or we do what we think are insignificant experiences. You might call them boring, the routine, daily things of life. And yet they turn out, God uses them to have major effects in our lives. And remember, God doesn't do things capriciously. He doesn't just randomly let things happen or do things. It's all by arrangement, it's all by design, and all by a purpose for his, his perfect will for you. So, uh, again, uh, never belittle or look down on your life or what you do in life. Be faithful in what you do, even though it might be ordinary and seem mundane and unimportant, and maybe you compare it to other people's life and think, oh, I wish I had a life like... You don't know what their life is like. You really don't. You may see some interesting things on the outside, things that you like to be doing, but you don't know. Every life is different. God's purpose for everyone isn't the same. So again, be faithful in what you do, even though it's ordinary and, and seems unimportant. You know, it, it, because as in, uh, as in, these, are the, these are how the important things in your life need to happen. They will happen through these, what we call ordinary experiences or born experiences. Remember in chapter 1, verse 21, Naomi returned to Bethlehem empty. Empty, poor, minus a husband and two sons. Naomi and Ruth, when they got to Bethlehem, man, they needed food right away after they got there. And because it was harvest time, and some people might think, oh, what, what, what luck. Perfect timing. That's what the world would say. They happened they happen to get there when it was harvest time so they could get food that they needed by gleaning in the fields that were being harvested. This is exactly what Ruth planned on doing is going into the harvest fields and harvesting for grain. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 now of chapter 2 of Ruth. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, that is, Naomi said to Ruth, Go, my daughter. Notice how Ruth was the first one to bring up the idea about going to glean grain. Because she saw a need. They, received, they, they, they returned to Bethlehem empty, poor. This points out Ruth's willingness to help Naomi's home. 
Now, now Ruth didn't have to be elbowed. She didn't have to be rebuked or threatened about, hey, you know, you need to go, you know, maybe you ought to go and, and see if you can get us some food and, and, you know, hey, where to find it. And She wasn't threatened about going. She went to gather from the barley field. She volunteered. Again, she didn't have to be told. Nor did she try to make excuses as to why uh, someone else should go and do it. She offered that she herself would do the work. You know how nice it would be if more people in ministry were like this. Many see needs in a church. And they'll even come and tell you, hey, come, we don't have this. And how come we don't have that? And, and you know, I got this great idea that you, well, you know what? Would you like to, uh, nope. They're not willing to help meet the need. And then they complain if it doesn't get done. Ruth's, arbor, uh, Ruth's offer to harvest barley was put to Naomi <coughs> in the form of a request. Ruth asked permission of Naomi to go glean in the garden for both of them, or in the fields for both of them. Now, asking permission from Naomi shows Ruth's great respect for her mother-in-law. And it's a good example of the young showing respect for their elders. Ruth would not act independently of Naomi but would show her due respect in all that she did. Ruth could have just gone out on her own and picked barley. But how much nicer to talk with Naomi first about doing it. This kind of respect helps to promote a good relationship between the two, which gives a good example for all homes. It may not be necessary to ask permission of a family, mem family member to do something you know, to do some particular thing. But at least let the family know where you're going and what you're doing. Husbands and wives need to tell each other about what they're doing. Even if permission isn't necessary, it encourages unity and a spirit of respect and kindness. Every night when I leave here, I get in my car and I text Kathy, leaving now, just to let her know I'm on my way. And whenever I'm out and about, or she does the same thing, we just let each other know where we're at, what time I'm leaving. When my kids, when they were, when my girls were young and they wanted to go somewhere, I said, before you even ask, I want to know why, where, when, and what. Where are you going, who are you going with, when you're going, and when you're coming back. Don't even ask before you have those questions answered or for me, because I'm going to ask you. I want to know. We need to know. So, when Ruth said, let me go now and glean, it emphasizes the need to go quickly because the harvest season was almost over. So there was no time to waste. And you have to make the best of the chances that you have them while you have them. And you see, sometimes our opportunities give us only a short amount of time to get things done because opportunity won't encourage taking your time. Delay in responding to opportunities shows poor character. Procrastinators often complain that they don't often get opportunities, when the truth is they've had just as many opportunities or more than anybody else. Their problem is not the lack of opportunities, but they're slow to get moving when the opportunity comes. And by the time they do respond, their opportunity is passed. Now, some of you may be showing your age when I say there's an old song called Opportunity. 
There's a line that says, opportunity knocks once, not twice. And it's like Father Time. It keeps on rolling and it'll pass you by. There's a lot of complaining today from different areas of society about being discriminated against when it comes to opportunities. It's simply the complaining of slow-moving people who fail to jump at the opportunity that God gives them. The lack of opportunity is usually more of a character problem than a discrimination problem. Ruth's request to go to the field and glean, in verse 2 there, involved a lot of work on her part. It involved a tiring, back-breaking job of following the reapers around and picking up stalks of grain that had fallen to the ground during the reaping process. So for Ruth to offer to do it shows that Ruth was a hard-working woman. As Proverbs 31:27 says of the Proverbs, the Proverbs woman, she carefully watches everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. Ruth was not interested in handouts or freebies. She'd rather go work to solve the problem of their need for food. She wasn't a lazy person. She'd rather work uh, to get the food than just hang around and do nothing. She wasn't asking Naomi, you know, if she could go out and, you know, take a walk around Bethlehem. You've never been here before. Nice place. I'd like to go out and see the sights. She'd rather work than just, again, hang around doing nothing. It was time. It wasn't time to sightsee. It was time to get to work. And her hardworking spirit paid off because it helped to make her a very great and famous woman. One commentator named Morrison said, all great men and women had diligent, uh, have been diligent workers. Go-getters in life are not lazy. Gleaning in the fields was very humbling work. And it was an acknowledgement of your lowly situation in life. It said you were in a bad way. It said you were poor. It said you were in need. It didn't raise your esteem. It would be a demeaning job for a lot of people in our times today. Oh, no, I, I, I'm not going to do that. Naomi and Ruth had no way of getting the food they needed except by going into the fields and gleaning. Otherwise, they'd starve. You know, and when we've come to that place where gleaning is the last resort, it's a humbling situation. But you'd better do some gleaning or your situation is going to get worse. If pride keeps you from gleaning, that is, if pride keeps you from humiliating work, it will be just another case of pride adding to people's problems. And we have a lot of that in the, in the world today. Proverbs 15, 33 says, Humility precedes honor. Humbleness was the way for Ruth to receive great honor. Because by her willingness to go to the fields to glean, it turned out for her to receive the great honor of having a husband all right, that she having a husband that she would have a son with that was in the line of Christ. All because she went out to work a humiliating job in the fields. If she hadn't been humble enough to go out to glean the barley in the fields, she would have missed out on this great opportunity. And we're reading about her tonight after all of those years. Ruth's offer to glean in the barley fields was lawful. Because the law of Moses made provisions for gleaners. In Leviticus 23, 22, it says, When you harvest, speaking about the harvesters who own the crops, when you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest grain along the edges of your fields and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave it for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. This was God's, basically God's welfare system. 
Deuteronomy 24, 19 says, when you are harvesting your crops and forget to bring in a bundle of grain from your field, don't go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigners, that is the strangers, orphans, and widows. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. So these two verses about gleaning tell us that there are at least four particular groups of people that were allowed to glean in the fields at harvest time. The poor, the stranger or the foreigner that were living in the land, the fatherless and the widow. Ruth was, a poor, uh, Ruth was poor, she was a stranger, and she was a widow. So she qualified in three out of the four groups. The law of gleaning needs to be practiced, man, by our governments today. Instead of passing out, you know, passing more and more welfare laws and just passing out free stuff. The gleaning law didn't, didn't just give the people the barley and the wheat. They didn't, the government didn't say, hey, here, come and get it. It gave the people a chance to work for it. And if they didn't work for it, they could starve. It sounds harsh. But that's what God's word basically says. Work is good for us, and it's healthy for us, and it promotes good character. Dorothy L. Sayers says this about work. She said, work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. It is or should be the full expression of the worker's faculties, the thing in which he finds spiritual, mental, and bodily satisfaction, and the medium in which he offers himself to God. The Apostle Paul felt the same way in 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 10 and 11. He said, even, he's, and I'm reading it from the New Living Translation, he said, even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Boy, if that was the, the, the standard today, people around here, they go nuts. Society, where's your love? Where's your heart? But the key word is unwilling to work. Yes, there are those who can't. They're sick, they're disabled, whatever it might be, and they can't. And that's what the welfare system is for. Paul said, those who are unwilling to work will not get to eat. He says, and yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work. And there are a lot of people who are refusing to work. Why? They know that the government's going to give them whatever they want or whatever they need. God has many blessings for us, but they're not without attention to duty and work. God isn't turning a, 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 running a welfare program that makes people lazy. If you want God's blessings, learn how to work. Only salvation comes from God without having to work for it. But one of the results of salvation is it makes us workers for God. As Paul said in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Gifts don't exempt the receivers from courteousness, from graciousness, from thankfulness. Privilege doesn't excuse you from being courteous. Having rights doesn't give you permission to be belligerent in your behavior. And even though Ruth, Ruth had legal rights to glean from the fields because it was the Mosaic law, she could say, hey, it's my right to come to this field and to glean this. Let me in. She didn't intend on demanding her rights. She didn't intend on demanding the owners of the fields that she be allowed to glean in them because the law says... Instead, she asked permission to glean in their fields. 
Matthew Henry said, Poor people must not demand kindness as a debt, but humbly ask it and take it as a favor, though in ever so small a matter. No matter what it is, how big or how small. But unfortunately, that's not the attitude of a lot of people. Not all of the lazy welfare, bun uh, welfare bunch in our land that fills the welfare, welfare rolls and drains money out of taxpayers' bucket, pockets. There's, you know, again, not all people that, that need it are doing that. But there is a lazy bunch refusing to work, like Paul says, that do that. They just, you know, they just add to the welfare list and they, and they, they drain the, the taxpayers' money. But that was not the, the character of Ruth. Ruth had character, something that a lot of people are lacking today. They're part of the you-owe-me crowd, the entitlement crowd. Asking if it was okay to glean was necessary only because it was a proper act of courtesy, not only because it was a proper act of courtesy, but because many wealthy and tightwad farmers disobeyed this law. Many of those wealthy farmers, they disobeyed the law. But these penny-pinching people missed the greatest opportunity and blessings of life. But Boaz wasn't one of them. He didn't miss the blessings because he, was, because he wasn't a stingy man. Boaz was just the opposite. He was very giving. And because he was very giving, he got a very lovely and honorable wife, Ruth, and a child, Obed, in the line of Christ. Stinginess will never give you any blessings like that. It only takes blessings away from you. Ruth's plan to glean was another display of her commitment regarding her decision that she made in Moab to stay with Naomi. Wherever you go, I will go. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And where you are buried, I will be buried. That was the commitment she made to Naomi. Even in the poverty of Naomi's house, Ruth didn't ask Naomi if she, could, if she could go back to Moab because I'd have a better life there. I could get out of this poverty if, if I went back to Moab. But she didn't ask to get out of the poverty there in Bethlehem. She made this commitment to Naomi. Instead, she made, again, she remained unwavering in her decision because she was asked to go gleaning to help the end of poverty. Poverty was just another test of Ruth's determination to stay with Naomi. Remember earlier when we first started the, the study on Ruth, there was a lot of things that, that could have uh, tempted Naomi to, uh, or, or Ruth to not go back with Naomi, to stay in Nomad, Nomad, uh, Moab where she'd be better off. Ruth was tested in many ways earlier because of her steadfast decision, and the tests keep coming. Even after getting to Bethlehem. But you know what? She passed those tests too. So Naomi answered Ruth's question about going to the fields and glean. In verse 2, notice what she says, go, my daughter. She says, go, my daughter. Naomi gives Ruth the okay to go and to glean in the fields. But that had to be hard for Naomi to let her glean because of Ruth's loyalty to Naomi. Ruth had been so loyal to Naomi and it would be hard for Naomi to see Ruth's loyalty rewarded in such a painful way of going out and doing this hard back-breaking work in the, in, the, in the fields to glean. It was hard work because of the humiliation of the glean. Naomi had seen, a, had seen a lot better days in her life. But she'd been reduced now to gleaning, which was very humiliating. 
So it's easy to think of Naomi, you know, with tears in her eyes, watching this faithful daughter-in-law, Ruth, leave her house, go out to the fields to do such humbling and hard work, thinking, is this what my life has come to? But how little did she know that Ruth was headed for glory when she went out to do such humbling work in the fields. You know, when it comes to tough times in life, whatever it takes to do what needs to be done, no matter how humiliating it might be, that is the fastest way to get out of the dark times in life. To just spend our time moaning and complaining about our problems instead of going out and doing what needs to be done, that doesn't help our situation. So when Ruth left the house, Ruth wasn't sure about where she was going to glean. She didn't know where to go. She just took off and went. And it would depend on where she could get the okay to glean. Verse 3 now. Then she left, went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the family of Elimelech. Notice, it just happened to be. Now, that's not the way God is, 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 is making it sound, but that's the way the world would make it sound. Oh, she just happened to find the right place at the right time. She happened to find the right man that was, hey, what a coincidence. Notice it says she left and went. Nobody came to her door. Nobody came to give her anything. Nobody came to ask her, hey, would you like to come and work in the fields? She had to go, she had to go look in, and she had to ask where she could glean. And this could have been a long and tiring process, walking and trying to find somebody that would let her glean in their fields. To search out a place to glean. Also because she was a foreigner, she was a stranger in the land. So that would make her job hunting even harder. But she still went. And it was the beginning of a big payoff for her because of her diligence. Don't refuse to do things because they look hard to do. Do it no matter how hard it might be. Ruth went to the fields that were being harvested. Now that sounds like the obvious thing to do. But spiritually, a lot of people are not that wise. A lot of people are looking for spiritual food but in worldly places that really don't promise anything. It's like what Isaiah said in Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. He says, is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come. Take your choice of wine and milk. It's all free. Why spend your money, notice, on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me, God says, and you will eat of what is good, and you will enjoy the finest food. You see, people are unhappy because they're looking in all the wrong places for what they need. If you want food, you have to go where you can find it. And if, and if the Christian wants spiritual food, they have to find it in the Word of God. In the Word of God. Success is not just coincidental. It's not just random in where it comes from, but it's the result of serious effort on your part. And as a result, notice what verse 3 says. 
Again, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. What another coincidence. They just keep on coming. In the King James Version, verse 3 says it like this, Her hap. Her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. The word hap is translated happened in the New King James. But the word hap in the New King James, I'm sorry, the word hap in the King James means chance, befallen, event, befalleth, or happeneth. All these translations are related, referring to providential happenings, the hand of God. The world, as I said, it calls it luck, or accident, or coincidence. But in God's dealings with man, there are no chance happenings or accidents. Ruth simply experienced the divine workings of God on her behalf in an obvious way. The obvious way God moved in Ruth's search for the field to glean, to glean in was leading her to Boaz's field. Boaz was related to, related to Elimelech, which was Naomi's late husband. And because of this relationship, his wealth and his wealth, Boaz was able to help out Ruth and Naomi, materially and maritally. You see, Boaz could provide the Liverite, the Liverite marriage for Ruth that would keep the seed of Elimelech alive, the family name going. And God's providence led her to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. She didn't know that Boaz had a connection to Elimelech. She didn't know. She couldn't have gleaned in a more fulfilling place, but that's what God does. Divine providence, the workings of God on our behalf. God knows exactly what the right circumstances are, and you know what? And He arranges them for us. But we have to understand that the providence of God <clears throat> doesn't work for everyone. There are some preconditions in order to experience the blessings of God's divine workings. And the most important of all preconditions is obedience. Obedience. I said it this morning, obedience is the highest form of worship. It's doing what God asks of us. God doesn't bless disobedience, He lets go. He lets go. Ruth was blessed by God's providence when she was in a place of obedience. And you know, when we're walking in obedience, providence is walking right alongside of us. The blessings come. The blessings come because you're walking according to His will. And because you're diligent when it comes to obeying God, the blessings come. And if you seldom enjoy God's blessings of divine providence working for you, hey, check out whether you're being obedient or not. Check your obedience to God and see if you're walking with Him. Now we're going to learn about the, pro the provider for Ruth's gleaning. Remember, verse 1 says, There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. He was a man of great wealth, it says. The word wealth means strength, power, or force. It's used to express power in physical strength, material strength, or character strength. Boaz's great strength was made clear in our text, and it was a very important factor in the story of Ruth. 
but he was also a great man of character, and the book shows that often. It says also that Boaz was of the family of Elimelech. You see, the other description of Boaz here that's important to the story of Ruth is that Boaz you know, was related to Naomi through her late husband, Elimelech. And this relationship was such that Boaz qualified to be a kinsman redeemer of Ruth and Naomi. In other words, his relationship to Elimelech made it possible for him to perform the Leverett marriage to Ruth. And the purpose of that Leverite law is to provide a descendant to the deceased, to continue the family line, and to preserve their, their inheritance. All of this is a wonderful type of the Lord Jesus Christ who was in his earthly life born into David's family, King David's family line so that he might identify with man and be the redeemer of man and from sin. And we'll see more about the gospel lessons in this marriage as we go through the studies in Ruth. But this relationship of Boaz to Elimelech made it possible for Boaz to redeem Naomi's property, which included marrying Ruth to preserve the seed of the family name of Elimelech. Even though Naomi, through Elimelech, had a wealthy relative, Boaz, she didn't make herself a pest by trying to freeload off of Boaz. It wasn't like she said, oh man, I, I struck, I buried this rich dude. I found this rich dude out here in the fields. Ruth chose to work in order to provide her needs rather than begging from a rich relative. She could have kicked back and said, oh man, I got it made now. This shows good character on her behalf compared to those who are God's people who don't show much interest in working. And it's really shameful for God's people to do this. And it shows a great lack of faith in God to provide for their daily needs. Look at verse 4 now. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Boaz's visit to the barley fields to check out how it was going you know, explains why Boaz was doing well. Because Boaz was involved in the work. Boaz, Boaz would go out and pay attention to what was going on. He was paying attention to the condition of, what, of, of the things that belonged to him. And Proverbs 27, verses 23 and 24 says, Know the state of your flocks and put your heart into caring for your herds because riches don't last forever. This is an exhortation from this principle. It's an exhortation of caring for what you have, for your possessions. Boaz wasn't just interested in his barley fields. He was also interested in the people who worked for him. He was interested in his servants. And they're his greatest asset. They're the ones that are doing the work for him. All of these, the people, the, the crops, the harvest, all of this, these were all his possessions. And he was being a good steward of them. And that's why God blessed him. A good lesson in stewardship. In a lot of churches, people want benevolence because of their material needs. But it's a result of their poor stewardship of what they have. These people need instruction, not handouts. They need God's word. Take care of what God has given you. Don't abuse it. Don't misuse it. And when God gives us blessings, he expects us to take care of them. Boaz did. 
And it helped Boaz to become a wealthy man, which enabled him to help others, especially in the case of Naomi and Ruth. And then Boaz said to the reapers, notice in verse 4, he says, The Lord be with you. And the reapers answered Boaz, And the Lord bless you, Boaz. You see, Boaz's greeting to his servants shows us a few things about Boaz. First, it shows his godliness. He asked the Lord's blessing upon them. His greeting to his servants showed his God-honoring heart. It showed that Boaz was a godly man whose godliness was seen in the way that he dealt with people. He wasn't crude. He wasn't foul-mouthed, discourteous. Everything that we see in the book of Ruth shows a life in Boaz that would honor God. And this honor is an everyday life. Next, we see Boaz was influential. After Boaz greeted his workers, they responded in a similar way. They showed his worthy influence on his servants. He used his position of authority to encourage honor for Jehovah God. He led a life before his servants that inspired them to give him honor and honor to Jehovah and to give honor to Jehovah at the workplace. Man, are we giving Jehovah God honor at the workplace? Then we see Boaz compared to others. It was a dark time here in Israel's history because there was a lot of evil going on at that time. God wasn't well honored during the time of the judges. But even during these evil days, Boaz honored God in his life, as we can tell by this godly greeting that he gave his servants. Boaz was a good and holy contrast to the ungodly ways of most of the people during that time. And this shows, uh, this shows us that you can still live a Christian life even if all the world around you has gone to the devil. David did it. Samuel did it. Uh, uh, Joseph did it. Jesus did it. You can't blame your failure to live for God because others around you are living ungodly. And that you think that that makes it too hard for you to live godly. Hey, it's not easy to live for God at any time. But you know what? It's always possible to live for God. So after the greeting of Boaz, he asks them, notice about Ruth in verse 5. Notice what he says. Then Boaz said to his servants, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? Hmm. Boaz has eyes for her. <laughs> the first thing we learn here about Boaz's question about Ruth is that it's more than just wanting to know who's the new woman working in my fields. It was love at first sight. There were other, wor- other women working in the fields, but Boaz saw Ruth and he had his eye on Ruth. And he was very attracted to her. And later on, we'll see in the scriptures that, again, by his eagerness to redeem Naomi's estate, which included marrying Ruth, we see that he was, again, very attracted to her. Boaz needed to know about Ruth, though, if he was interested in pursuing her romantically. She might have been attractive to him, but he needed to know more. He wanted to know who she was. And that included what kind of person was she? 
And we'll see that Boaz found the information that he needed to know about her that made him comfortable in pursuing her in marriage. And in married t- many times in marriage, it's the attraction that people pursue without knowing much about each other's character. And it, sure, and it doesn't last long down the road. In answer to his question about Ruth, his servant said, notice in verse 6 and 7, so the servant who was in charge of the reapers uh, answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little while in the house. Boaz received some good feedback from the leader of his servants about Ruth. For starters, if, uh, the info he received spoke of her purity. His servants told him, this is the Moabite woman who came back with, with, with uh, Naomi from Moab. She came out of a heathen land to live in Israel. So Ruth separated from idolatry. She separated herself from all the evil practices that were connected with idolatry. This showed her purity of faith. It showed her morals, which are important in a marriage partner. Then there was her loyalty. She, he found out about her loyalty. Ruth came back. Or return to Bethlehem. The fact that she'd never been in Bethlehem shows, that her, shows her loyalty to Naomi. It's a commendable characteristic of Ruth. And the people of Bethlehem noticed it. Loyalty is another trait needed for a good marriage. Then we see the respectability of Ruth. Notice verse 7 says, She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. Her respectability was another good character trait that would make her a good prospect for marriage. She didn't demand that people honor her rights or give her privileges. She didn't take things for granted. She showed good manners, again, which also are important in a person for a good marriage. And last, we see her vitality, her energy, her effort, her her diligence, man, her industriousness. Verse 7, notice it says, she has been working all day long. She took a little break. Ruth's work habits were noticed by the reapers. And the overseers told Boaz about her hard work. Another good character trait in a marriage partner. It says she took a short break. She rested only as she needed, and she spent the rest of her time busy gleaning. Laziness does not make for a good marriage partner or a lasting marriage, but a hardworking partner. And that's both partners, not just, that's not this lady. It's both partners. It makes for a good marriage. And it preserves them. It preserves them and it blesses them in their marriage. Father, we come before you to thank you so much for this beautiful picture, God, really of the Lord Jesus Christ the kinsman redeemer. And Father, how he came to redeem us, to save us, to save us from sin. And Father, may we see these character traits, God, and and again, they are practical and they are important for both men and women, and especially as, as Christians, God. Help us to show loyalty and purity. 
vitality, Lord, diligence, good manners, Father. We need to give this world an example of what a believer is, God. Not maybe what they've seen and have used that for a reason, not to believe, God. Or to point at the church and say, forget that place. So, Lord, we thank you, and we pray that you continue to move in us and through us. Continue continue to teach us your word, God, and may your spirit give us the, the power and the might to live a godly life in an ungodly world, God. We thank you so much, and it's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen.